The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke, glory to you, Lord Christ. And they led away two others who were criminals to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, offering him sour wine to drink and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. The inscription over his head said, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, have you no fear of God? Since you are standing under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly, for we have received what is due for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Luke to record these words. We believe these words not only had power in the day that Luke wrote them, but these words have power this day as they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this word for us now, that we would be made more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. <clears throat> what does it mean for us to follow the crucified King Jesus. It's Christ the King Sunday. It's the completion of the liturgical calendar. We've rehearsed over this past year the entire story of salvation, and it culminates in this declarative Sunday, Christ is King, and yet here we are on Christ the King Sunday looking at the cross. And it's appropriately the case because though Pilate intends to be ironic in verse 38 when he puts the placard over this crucified man's head that says, this is the king of the Jews, he's trying to be ironic. But there's no irony in this at all. It is the truth. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords crucified. And if we find that oxymoronic, if we find that ironic, if we find that hard to wrap our brains around that the king of kings would be crucified, then it's simply a declaration and a demonstration of how much human beings misunderstand the nature of kingship and power and authority in this world. We really, really misunderstand a lot of things. I think when Jesus says in verse 34, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. It's clearly referring to the people putting the nails into his hands and his feet but it also refers pretty much to most things we do in our life. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We misunderstand so much. 
I was struck with this uh, misunderstanding, how often we misunderstand this week. Um, when I was uh, texting one of my daughters, my teenage daughters, um, I used to think until this week that I was really text savvy on things like text shortcuts. You know how that works where you've got, instead of saying whole words, you'll just put a few letters together and there's a whole shortcut system and teenagers talking about, I'm really into this because, I mean, for example, I never fell into the trap years ago when LOL first came out, you know, LOL, laugh out loud. I didn't fall into that trap that some people did where they thought LOL was lots of love and so they'd write to each other on Facebook and say, I'm sorry your grandmother's died, LOL. You know, I never fell into that trap. I was tech savvy. I understood the shortcuts until this week. See, there's a shortcut that I was struck with this week when my daughter was texting me um, because I would text her. I'd be arriving to pick her up somewhere and I'd, I'd say, I'd text, I'm here. Right? Because you don't want dad to go in, right? Just stay in the car and tell, I'm here. And I would get the response, O-M-W, which as I found out this week means on my way. I thought it meant, oh my word, <laughs> as like an expletive almost, you know, sort of angrily upset, you know, oh my word, you know, and so, so I, I, I found this, and this was happening again and again, for weeks this has been going on. I'll get somewhere to pick her up and I'll say, I'm here, and I'll get this OMW. And then my next text will be, hey, I'm not saying you need to rush, just I'm here, <laughs> OMW. And I'd say, now, sweetie, Seriously, I drove a long way to come and pick you up. I think your attitude needs some adjustment here. And I'd get question mark, question mark, question mark, OMW. <laughs> She'd finally get into the car and we didn't speak. And she could tell I was just seething. And this happened several times. Cool, quiet, no speaking car ride home. Until this week, I saw her typing to one of her friends. And she wrote to one of her friends, OMW. I said, oh, who got the oh my word now? And she said, it means on my way. And I said, I'm so sorry. And, and I said, I, I swore it meant, oh my word. And I look and you could see it in her eyes. She's going back through all these different car rides. And she's like, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> totally misunderstood, totally misunderstood. But so it is for human beings so often, without the gospel, when we look at what kingship and power and authority looks like, we totally get it wrong. We misunderstand. See, what Jesus on the cross is doing for us is it's redefining for us what kingship really is, what authority really is. It's Tom Wright. Bishop Tom Wright says this. He says, Jesus has stood on its head the meaning of kingship, the meaning of the kingdom itself. He's celebrated with the wrong people. He's offered peace and hope to the wrong people and warned the wrong people of God's coming judgment. Now he is hailed as a king at last, but only in mockery. Here comes his royal cupbearer. Only it's a Roman soldier offering him the sour wine that the poor people drank. Here is his royal placard announcing his kingship of the world. But it is in fact the criminal charge which explains his cruel death. What does it mean for us to follow the crucified King Jesus? It means 
that the cross must redefine for us the king's purpose. We must understand afresh what the purpose of kings is for. But not only does it redefine for us the king's purpose, it also redefines for us the king's power. We need to understand anew what power looks like when it's exercised from a king. And finally, not just purpose and power, but the cross will redefine for us what the king's people are to look like. That we cannot declare Christ the crucified one is king and not have it affect the way we exercise our own authority and our own power in this world. See, the cross redefines the king's purpose, first of all. You see the reaction from the rulers, verse 35, they scoffed. The soldiers, verse 36, they mocked. The criminal even, one of the two criminals on the cross, verse 39, railed at Jesus. Why? Their mockery and their taunts is rooted in a very different view of the purpose of kingship and authority. The world tells us and the crowd around Jesus believes that kingship is given for the sake of ruling. You're the king The purpose of the king is to rule. The purpose of the king is to exert authority. The purpose of the king is to gain more power and more strength. That's the purpose of kingship. That's the purpose of authority. That's why in verse 36, verse 37, and verse 39, the taunt to this crucified king And by the way, crucifixion was not just about a torture of death, a sentence of death, nor was it just about the pain, but it was about the humiliation, right? The Romans were brilliant at squashing rebellion. They would take these would-be messiahs, these would-be kings, and they would crucify them in such a way it was done publicly in a major intersection of where people came by. They'd strip them naked, verse 36 says they they cast lots for his clothing. Verse 33 says they cast lots for his clothing. He's naked. And because they're pinned to a cross, they can't even defend themselves from all the carrions and birds and beasts that will begin to gnaw at them already. It is the most humiliating moment. And so the mockery of this clear, pretender, ridiculous king from the soldiers and from the rulers and even from one of the criminals is rooted in the phrase they say three times, verse 36, 37, 39, save yourself. Because that's what kings do with their authority. They save themselves. Authority is given and you use it to secure yourself. They're just saying, Jesus, this makes sense. Like this is Basic logic. If you really are a king, then you'll save yourself because that's what kings do. Kings use their kingship and authority to save themselves, to exert their own self-interest, to protect themselves, to grow in their strength. And we see that in our world. We see that in the way that our kings exercise authority, both in the government, in business, Everywhere in our society, in our homes, we exercise authority so often as something that is about propping me up and giving me strength and more of it. I love how you see this in the musical Hamilton, where King George III, right, as America 
is in rebellion and, and England is responding. And King George III is kind of the comic character in Hamilton. And he sort of is meant to exude the wrong kind of kingship, right? The wrong purpose of kings, to have more power brought to themselves. George sings this, he says, you'll be back, you will see, you'll remember you belong to me. You'll be back, time will tell, You'll remember that I served you well. Oceans rise, empires fall. We have seen each other through it all. And when push comes to shove, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. <laughs> this is the way that our world sees kingship. This is the way that we exert kingship. The purpose of kingship, the purpose of power, the purpose of authority is to protect yourself and gain more. But instead we read in our reading from Jeremiah 23, God speaks and says, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter my sheep of my pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you've not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. And then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where they've been driven and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. The shepherding image again and again in scripture is the image of kingship. The image of a king is to be a shepherd. You think in terms of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. That's saying my, the Lord is my king. The type of kingship is to be one of a shepherd whose purpose is to care for the sheep. The purpose for their role, for their authority is for the sake of the sheep, not for themselves. I love that in ordinations, in the church, because we must always be careful whenever we give authority publicly to someone. Be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. We remind, we scare ordinance to death at the time of their ordination and say, remember, remember the great treasure, the bishop says, the great treasure that has been entrusted to you. These are the sheep of God's own hand, redeemed by Jesus' blood. Then the bishop says, he actually says this, he says, and if one of them should fall because of your negligence or immorality, you know the great punishment that will come upon you. And everyone in the room is freaking out, no one more than the ordinand. And there's that reminder from John chapter 10, we often read the good shepherd passage. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. In John 10 verse seven, which I referenced last week, we're told Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep. And it's this pastoral image of the king, the shepherd king, who literally is the door because the shepherd in the ancient Near East would lay himself across the opening of the sheep pen. Once he got the sheep inside, he would lay himself across the entrance for the sake of keeping back the wolves and the predators and the thieves that were coming. This shepherd purpose, God is saying, and most clearly in this image of the crucified king, the purpose of kings is to serve those whom they have authority over, not to save themselves, 
but to save their sheep. As Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Which, of course, leads us to the next reality we see is not just the cross redefines the king's purpose to protect and care not for himself but for the sheep given to him, but the cross redefines the king's power. How does the king wield his power? What does kingly power look like? See, there's this wonderful moment in verse 42, that beautiful moment when the second criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is not just an amazing picture of repentance and faith. It is that, but it's even more amazing to see what Jesus says in response. Because in verse 43, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, what's amazing about that is the fact that the criminal has placed Jesus' power in a future moment. Because you can translate verse 42 this way. You can say that what the, what the thief on the cross was saying was, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingly power. Like kingdom can mean kingly power. Remember me when you come into your kingly power. In that, that moment, that day. Jesus, clearly today is not the day. You're not in your kingly power. Like clearly this, is, this isn't your power day. I get it. I recognize you as the king. So guess what, Jesus? When you get your power back on that day, remember me. Today's not the power day. Today's the cross. So when you get your power back, then remember me. And Jesus says, you don't have to wait for some day down the road. You don't have to wait for tomorrow or some future date. Today, you will be with me in paradise. In other words, what Jesus is saying is my power is not going to be brought to bear in some future moment. This is the moment, the centerpiece of human history, Jesus dying on the cross, where his power was brought to bear most powerfully in the history of salvation and the history of what will ever come again. Jesus coming in power and glory in the second coming will be nothing in comparison with the power that was poured out of him when he died on the cross for your sins and mine. Jesus is saying, you misunderstand power. It looks like powerlessness. But in fact, as I've given all my power away in this moment, I am in fact exerting the most power that has ever been seen in human history. I am bearing the sin of Adam and everyone who followed in my body. I'm putting to death sin. I'm putting to death, death itself. You see, Paul gets this in Philippians chapter 2 so powerfully when he says to the church, he says to us, that as you look at and see this kind of emptying out of power, and in fact in that exercise exerting the most power, what does he say to the church in Philippi? He says, let this mind be among yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. You have the same mind in you as that which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, key word, emptied himself, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, Paul says, when he emptied himself, was in fact exerting the most power that he could ever exert in this world. That power needs to be mis, mis, or we have misinterpreted and misunderstood power. That in fact, because of a crucified king, what it teaches us and helps us redefine about power is that power for the Christian will be most powerful when we give it away. When we are not clinging to it, when we are not holding on it, when we're not insisting on our own ways, but instead are giving up our power for the other. That's what looks like Jesus. That's what looks like Jesus on the cross. The crucified king redefining what real power looks like, giving it up for the sake of those in need. And I got to tell you, as a parent, I've learned this lesson and I'm learning this lesson more than any other part of my life. Because we raise our children as these gifts from God and, and we, can, we believe and truly in our hearts we desire everything we do for our kids. At least we tell ourselves that. Everything we do is for you. Like we pour everything out for you. But so quickly because we are broken and because we are sinful and because we are selfish, that line gets crossed very easily where all of a sudden it becomes less about I'm doing all these things just for you and it's more like can't you just listen to me? Can't you just do as I say? And don't get me wrong, there's a need to correct and guide our children, but so often the pain that I experience and the failure I experience as a father is in exerting power over another rather than using the power given to me by God to give it away, to empower The crucified king redefines power as that which should be given up for the sake of the other. Which leads us finally to the last thing that the cross redefines, and that's us, the king's people. See, we can't give affirmation to the crucified Christ being king just intellectually or just with our words and not have it affect the way we operate with the authority and the power given to us. And if you don't think you have power and authority in your life, you do. Each one of us has been set in our homes, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, in different capacities. We have authority, we have influence, we have power. And if we say that Christ is king, the crucified Christ is king, it is only true in as much as we actually begin living with power the way he has modeled it for us. I love that Simon of Cyrene is in this story. I didn't read it. Came a few verses early in verse 26. But I love Simon of Cyrene, right? Verse 26, and they led him away. As they led Jesus away, they seized one 
Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. I love this, um, not just because it's a powerful picture of, of, you know, the crowd getting involved in this procession up to Calvary, but here's what's amazing about the inclusion of Simon and Cyrene. Mark, only Mark, says this one thing about Simon of Cyrene. He says, Simon of Cyrene got pulled out of the crowd, and then he says this, he says, the father of Alexander and Rufus. So he gives Simon of Cyrene like a connection point with the community. And people have struggled, what does that mean? Does it mean, I remember when I first read that, I go, oh, so clearly Simon of Cyrene never was a believer, but his sons were, Alexander Rufus. That's not what it means. What it means is that very likely Simon of Cyrene was not one of Jesus' disciples at the time he was pulled out of the crowd to carry the cross of Jesus. After Jesus had been so scourged and beaten, he couldn't even carry his own cross up the hill. What it means is that somewhere through the experience of carrying Jesus' cross up Calvary, watching his death, and then hearing his story of resurrection and perhaps even encountering the risen Lord himself, Simon of Cyrene did become a believer and he passed that faith on to his children. And about 20, 30, 40 years later when Mark wrote this story, Simon of Cyrene is dead and his sons, Alexander and Rufus, are known members of the church. Simon of Cyrene, Mark says, Alexander and Rufus' dad. You know this story. The church knew this story because the church valued Simon's role in the crucifixion moment as an image for the church. Here's what I mean. Simon of Cyrene, in this moment, carrying the cross of Jesus up the hill, forever becomes a picture in the midst of this crucifixion moment that the church can never forget that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus... Look at the one who literally for the first time, the first one who ever literally carried the cross like Jesus promised in Luke chapter nine. Whoever would follow after me must deny self, take up his cross and follow me. It happens in the midst of this crucified king moment. And it happens to communicate to us as the church that our lives are not just about receiving the benefits of the crucified king, salvation from sin, raised to new life, filled with the Holy Spirit, given new life and adoption in Christ, not just the benefits, but that as we look upon the cross of Jesus and we see the king crucified, it tells us this is the very life that you're called to, not to save the world, Jesus already did that, but to look like him, to walk the way of the cross, this crucified life. As Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We call this way of the cross, we call this life after the cross a cruciform life. A cruciform life. A life that is being shaped by the cross of Jesus, that we allow this example and moment of what kingly authority looks like to shape the way we handle authority in our lives. One of the most common questions that newcomers ask us here at Christ Church is, do I need to cross myself? Coming out of different traditions, right? Do I need to cross myself? 
And, and my answer is pretty much always the same. No, you don't have to cross yourself. Crossing ourselves is simply a sign, an act that reminds us that we are called to live a cruciform life, that we are called daily to call upon the Holy Spirit to be shaping and forming us to be more cross-like, Jesus on the cross-like, cruciform. And so I always say, you don't need to cross yourself as a Christian. You do not need to cross yourself as a Christian. The act is optional. It's a good one, but it's optional. But the cruciform life it represents is not optional. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not be called into cruciformity. Part of the way the cross shapes our lives is in how we use power given to us. I love uh, Alfred the Great. You all know Alfred the Great? Ninth century medieval king. He's the only English king who was ever given by the church the title The Great. Because it wasn't because he was a conqueror. It wasn't because he expanded his empire. It was because he functioned as a cruciform king. He was a real Christian king. Alfred the Great was, is commemorated on October 26th. He was the king of the West Saxons and a reformer of society. He's, he, was, he was successful as a military commander against the invading Danes. He reformed the legal system to give more rights to the poor and protections to the poor. He reformed the church to make sure they were training evangelists and training their clergy better. He founded hospitals. Alfred founded schools. And King Alfred promoted literacy and virtue throughout his realm. And so today we commemorate him as Alfred the Great. Great only because he looked just a little bit more like Jesus. That a king took his authority given and lived, yes, imperfect, yes, as a sinner saved by grace, but he lived desiring cruciformity. He looked upon the crucified king, his Lord, and said, whatever power has been given to me, O Lord, the crucified one, teach me to live it with cruciformity. We will fail. We will fall down. We will misuse our power. We will not look like Jesus. And that's why we come each week to the table. It is in this moment, as we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the crucified King and risen, that we see afresh our failure, but we see again that picture of true kingship. The one who knew his purpose as king was to serve us, to bring us home. Who knew that his power as king was exercised most powerfully when he gave it away. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And that he knew that we as people, though we will stumble, he was sure to call us and fill us and strengthen us to take the power he's given us and to live it like our crucified king. This is what changes our families. This is what changes our 
communities. This is what will change our nation and this is what will save the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.